Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. We may be in the middle of the NFL offseason, but there's plenty to wager on at betonline.ag. Baseball is back, the NHL and NBA are in full swing, and there are even NFL draft props to wager on. Make sure you go to betonline.ag to check out their wide betting selection and start wagering today. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy Podcast with your host Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Chris Schubert, Jamie Eisner, Jake Arians here with you. Continuing Jamie's way too early 2020 fantasy rankings. I believe, Jamie, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the last group that we have to go through here on the show. Wide receivers. This is the group that I think you went the furthest with in names. There are 60 names on this list for us to go through. We're going to go through all 60 of them to wrap up this big spectacular. You're going to this break joke down isn't going to work for the third consecutive show, Chris. No, I can't get a cheap laugh no. on this joke. All right. No, no we'll this joke is bad. Although you, you do have a teaser that you basically you've left us on a cliffhanger for 48 hours now that you're going to have to at least reveal at some point during the show today. Maybe, I mean, you've maybe, teased all our listeners. Maybe it'll go longer. Who knows? Uh, same rules as always. Jamie's going to set the table, talk about the top 12 guys uh, and just list them off. And then Jake and I have questions about not only the top 12, but the rest of the list. We'll have conversations about specific guys. And normally how this goes is while we're doing this, other questions pop up and we go off the cuff and we add a whole bunch to it. So going to be the same structure to all of the other way too early shows. So Jamie, without further ado, the top 12 wide receivers for 2021 for you right now. Okay, so let's go from the top here, and you can see them all in all the rankings as usual under the Fantasy tab at thedraftnetwork.com. I have Devontae Adams, number one. I don't think that's very controversial. Tyreek Hill, number two. Stephon Diggs, three. DeAndre Hopkins, four. A.J. Brown, five. Keenan Allen, six. D.K. Metcalf, seven. Calvin Ridley, eight. Justin Jefferson, nine. Mike Evans, 10. Allen Robinson, 11. And Julio Jones rounds out the wide receiver one territory coming in at wide receiver 12. Okay, so there are the top 12. And and Jake, you have more questions than I do about receivers in the top 12. So I'll let you go first. I believe your first two questions are about top 12 wide receivers. So I'll let you kick us off and you, uh, you start the conversation. Well, first of all, this is one crazy different list than we've seen the last couple of years. Between the Zeeks and the Saquons falling down, the fact that Julio is at 12 is like, a little bit of the mind blown emoji thing going on. My first question is Tyree kill it too. Is he really like, I get stuck in this real life football and fantasy football. Like he's not to me, not even a number one receiver. I know he's their number one receiver. Kind of Kelsey's really their number one, but is he really wide receiver too? Is he, is he seems, he still seems boom or bust. And I know the booms are 50 point booms. But he's kind of flattened out a little bit of the bus, hadn't he? Like last year, is it, did that prove it enough to you that he's number two? Yeah, because to me, I think the difference is, is he, he didn't bust very much. He only had two games all season with fewer than 15 fantasy points, which I think is big for me because as we do talk about some of this consistency, if you're going to take him around the turn or in the very early part of round two, you want to make sure that you're not going to get a lot of five, six, seven point weeks. You didn't get that last year. Two, two games total under 15 points. He gave you seven 21 plus point fantasy games in 2020 finishes the wide receiver two there. And if we start to talk about him versus some of the other names that we mentioned below, it's like, I love Stefan Diggs, but I don't think he's going to be able to there. I don't think there's any room for Diggs to grow. I think this is last year was best case scenario. And he probably doesn't reach that, but he gets pretty close next year. 
Hopkins has kind of have a ceiling where he is. Like to me, I don't think it's crazy of those other guys in the top five to say who has the best chance just to replicate what they were able to do year over year. And I think outside of Devontae Adams, who's the clear top choice, I think that answer is Tyreek Hill. So I guess the question that I would ask off of that, Jamie, and it's not one of the ones that I have listed down here, but based on the way you feel about Diggs and Hopkins in terms of their ceiling, the guy that might be able to threaten Tyreek Hill's spot at number two from a ceiling perspective is A.J. Brown because the way that offense has changed and he's literally the only guy and he can go above the numbers that we saw last year? In theory, like here's here's the issue. And again, I have A.J. Brown at five, so I'm not trying right, to right. I, I'm, I'm just pointing out that it, it, we're talking about these ceilings. He might be the only guy that fits sure. that Sure, like if A.J. Brown gets 150 targets, he's probably going to be the wide receiver too. I just don't think that's going to be very likely. I, I think that's the only thing that's kind of holding him back. I know he's the only guy there really at this point, and we'll see if they end up bringing in a receiver on day one or day two, which I feel like they have to at this point if you're Tennessee. But yes, in theory, if he gets the same sort of workload, those other top five in terms of target share, those other top five receivers get, he's going to be the clear to wide receiver too. and might even threaten for top wide receiver overall territory. But I just don't think he's, I think he's the least likely to get that kind of a, a target share year over year jump that he would need to be in that spot. But but yes, I would say A.J. Brown of those top five guys has a ceiling with some room to get there, where a lot of those other guys are either already at their peak or just have nowhere else to go, but they're just already great. Jake, you want to talk about the two Atlanta wide receivers and where they are at in these rankings? Yeah, maybe it's just Julio getting old, but Ridley at eight and Julio at 12. Is that injury risk concern for Julio for the last couple of years, that hamstring that bothered him so much last year, or is it like Ridley's freakish touchdown production in the last two years? It's a little bit of And both. he kind of proved to do it without Julio last year when he wasn't in. Ridley didn't really drop off. Is that kind of where you got with this? Because I was shocked a little bit to see it, but then I thought about it and went, all right, it makes a lot of sense. I feel pretty confident in Ridley over Julio, um, and I'll talk about both in a second here. With Julio, it's another one of those cases where – I know he's not going to finish as the wide receiver 12. Like I know that ranking will be off. He's either going to stay healthy and he's going to be a clear top eight wide receiver, or he's going to be dealing with injuries here and there. And he's going to be very productive when he's out there, but he's going to be, you know, in terms of total points, he's going to be more in the twenties just because he misses some time. So you kind of having to split the difference there. I was really impressed with Calvin Ridley in general. And he was really good, like you said, Jake, even when Jones was active. Now, when Jones was on the sideline, he averaged 20.13 fantasy points per game, which was obviously phenomenal. But even when Julio was active, he was averaging 17.6 fantasy points per game. So, I mean, he was still putting up incredibly productive numbers, actually finishes the wide receiver four in average fantasy points per game last year. I think his role is going to continue to be massive in this offense. I really am curious to see how this Arthur Smith offense works. Do they add another piece there? Uh, I'm really excited for what he can provide this year. And for Julio, when he's out there, he's going to be great. I just don't know that he's going to be out there for 14 games, 10 games, nine like last year. Like he he kind of overcame a little bit of that injury history prior to last year where he was actually getting suiting up at least for 14, 15 games pretty consistently. But he has these soft tissue injuries that kind of linger or he's active, but he's only active for – really almost decoy purposes and you play him, he has two targets and I just, it makes it tough to, to take him as a bona fide top 10 wide receiver. When he's active and healthy, you were clearly going to get that sort of production. You just have a lot more risk with him than I think Calvin Ridley. I'll tell you this much, Chris, for the guys listening, 
Uh, Jamie and I had Ridley both inside our think of top 17 or 18 last year. He definitely lived up to the billing. But from like a football perspective, the coaches I talked to said he was damn near uncoverable. Getting like those last four or five games when he became like the guy, you couldn't cover him. You couldn't hold him under seven or eight catches a game. So for those people listening, this is a guy I'm definitely throwing an asterisk next to that if you get into that second round, third, if he somehow falls to the third, at this point, I think you're you're sitting really pretty with him. That's a guy I'm definitely going to look to target because I think he could take over as the top guy. I, I love where Jamie had this. I was a little shocked to see it, like I said, but it makes a ton of sense. And I go back to the coaches I talked to at the end of the year last year. This dude was an absolute freak. Yeah, and, he's, a, he's a middle of the second round guy for me, in, and, in just in terms of just overall draft. And I wonder if people will overlook Calvin Ridley because Julio is still there and they'll get lost in this whole – they're both of those guys are going to get, you know, catches. They're both, they're both going to get a lot of targets. So it's hard for one of them to emerge as the wide receiver one. Right. And I wonder if people will then overlook a guy like Calvin Ridley, who I, I and I think we all, all in agreement here has separated himself from Julio in a lot of ways as the top option uh, in that team. All right, Jamie, I will ask my first question that I, I had prepared and written down here. Okay. And it has to do remarks. with, with a guy that you, that you, I think you're a big fan of. This is one of the guys that you would stand on the table for, Terry McLaurin in Washington. And I guess the conversation point I want to have here is you have him 16 on this list, which to me signals no concerns about this offense looking a lot different. There's a brand new quarterback. There are more pass catching options there. We know what Terry did with, you know, bad quarterbacks in the past. No offense, Alex Smith. But now he gets Ryan Fitzpatrick to be his quarterback. This offense is going to look different. But you have no concerns about the gelling of that here going into this season. What's there to be concerned about? Yeah. I, I said, that, all that's, that's got to help. That, that's my response is what's there to be concerned about? Like uh, uh, Curtis Samuel is not a target hawk. Curtis Samuel is, is an incredibly intriguing and useful chess piece that is going to be a huge asset for that Washington offense, but shouldn't really take much away from what Terry McLaurin's going to have. In fact, it'll help any bit of eye candy, any bit of in the backfield or any sort of any sort of target share elsewhere to get the defenses to focus away from Terry McLaurin will be huge. You know, as a quarterback, that's not going to be afraid to get him the ball all over the field and just throw it in there and let him make plays. Uh, and I, I really love what he can do this year. Like I, I think I would not be shocked if we look back at the end of the year and Terry McLaurin finished inside the top eight. I really wouldn't be. Uh, in terms of fantasy production, he really, he has that sort of a peak where if it's Patrick looks like he did two years ago or at the times last year, when he got a chance to start, you know, look what he did with a guy like Devontae Parker. Look at even what he did with a guy like Preston Williams in a short stretch there. I mean, Terry McLaurin has more talent than either one of those guys by far. And I think he's somebody that could have a tremendous amount of success. So to me, I'm not worried about anything gelling. I mean, you're going to have more of an off season this year in some capacity than you did last year. And there's upgrades everywhere. I think everything that Washington has done so far is going to bet this offseason is going to benefit Terry McLaurin. Uh, fair enough. I was just going to, I just wanted to ask the question. You what had a stupid there question, Chris. No, Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate no, you. I'm just kidding, Chris. Um, so, Jake, your next question. You have another top 10 related question. I thought you only had two. You actually have three here looking at the rundown that we have put together. Justin Jefferson is next up for you on our, our, our list here today. Yeah, it's another one that was a little bit surprising when we're talking about Dalvin Cook being the number one running back on your board. Justin Jefferson is not significantly, but he's higher than Robert Woods with Robert Woods having Stafford coming in. So is this a, we don't know how it's going to look with Stafford. We think LA's run game is going to be significantly improved. Do you think Justin Jefferson takes a big jump in year two as the number one option there outside the run game with Dalvin Cook? 
I think for me, it's more about upside here where I love Robert Woods, but you kind of know what you're going to get with him. You're going to get an Justin extremely Jackson's big, big playability. Yeah. And you just get an yeah. extremely productive receiver in Robert Woods. You're going to get the guy who I would wager finishes inside the top 15. Uh, and it, pretty much like over the last year, he finishes the wide receiver 14 in total points. The last two years, if you combine it, he was wide receiver 16. That's kind of where I have him. Like, I think he's going to fit in that elite wide receiver two range where he's just steady Eddie. He's going to be productive every single week. You're going to love what you get from him, and you're going to be really happy with, with his production. Where Justin Jefferson, I think, has the chance to kind of spike a little bit higher. You know, last year, he was the wide receiver nine, if you include week 17, in average fantasy points per game. Uh, I, I think he's going to continue to get this sort of a volume in this offense because Adam Thielen's still going to be there. It's not like I know teams are going to focus on Jefferson a little bit more than they did probably early last season, but you can't just, it's not like there's no other option there. It's not like they're not going to let Adam Thielen, who was a touchdown monster last year, just run free. So I, I'm really interested to see what his potential upside is. I don't have those guys that far apart. Woods was actually number 13 for me. I know we only did top 12. So these guys are only a few spots apart. I just think to me, if you're looking at one guy that has just an unbelievably high floor, it's Woods. But I think if, if we're going to say one of these two guys finishes as a top eight or top six wide receiver next year, I think Jefferson has a better chance to hit that sort of ceiling than Woods does, even though Woods' floor is always super high and he's guy's always underrated in fantasy drafts. Juju Smith-Schuster is the guy that I want to talk about next. And, Jamie, you have him all the way down at wide receiver 28. And I will speak for you, and then you can tell me if I'm correct or incorrect. This is just because last year we saw it just did just he didn't be that number one wide receiver that we all anticipate or expect him to be, and we've seen him be in the past. It just didn't work out, and he went back to the place where it didn't work out. It's not that it necessarily didn't work out. It didn't work out the way people were hoping for. I mean, I guess that that would be a fair point to say. To me, I just thought this was kind of a letdown for him going back for fantasy purposes. Uh, I I think you're going to get a player that could threaten that wide receiver two territory, but you're going to be completely dependent in this case on volume. You're not, the big plays aren't there. The way they use him in that offense isn't there. The way Ben Roethlisberger operates that offense at this stage of his career isn't what it was a couple years ago. You're completely beholden to him getting a six, seven, eight catches with that average depth of target of like five, five and a half yards where he was last year in order to be fantasy relevant. And there are going to be several weeks where he does that. There are going to be weeks where he's going to get you, you know, nine catches for 63 yards or whatever. And you look up and you're like, oh, okay, you know, that actually was a pretty decent week. And if he throws a touchdown in there, it's a great week. But to me, I just, I don't think there's a tremendous amount of upside with him anymore. And if I'm going to take an upside play there for volume, I'm going to go with Deontay Johnson, who's going to probably lead the team in targets. I like just like he did last year, where this was a guy that was just getting peppered and peppered and peppered with targets. I I like I I I probably imagine that Juju outperforms his wide receiver 28 spot where I have him, but I can't really make a case when I go into a draft boards that I would take anybody that I have in those 27 spots above him that I would take any of those guys behind him going into drafts. You know what this offense reminds me of? It was like when Jarvis Landry was on the Dolphins and he broke the record for the most catches in, in three years, but 88% of them were inside of four yards of the line of scrimmage. It's like they have four of that. It's like they have four dudes that all catch it, well, three dudes that all catch it within four yards of the line of scrimmage, and then Chase Claypool, who they actually would take a shot to here and there. But he catches a lot of balls within four yards of the line of scrimmage. It's like, other than Deontay Johnson, who's phenomenal run after the catch, what are you getting more than like, okay, they're all going to get four or five targets within four or five yards of the line of scrimmage. You could end up with five guys that have five for 25. 
and while that's okay, it's like where I, I don't see the upside here. Like Juju, we all talked about Kansas City was like such a better spot for him, his career, and for, for, for fantasy purposes. I think he would have been phenomenal there. This I, I don't know what to do with Juju at this point, man. Like he ended up being okay last year. Yeah. But everything was like this weird Jarvis Landry-ish inside of four yards kind of thing. Look, you'll look up next year and he'll probably be the wide receiver 23, 24, 25. But to me, again, at, at this spot, we start to talk about some of these guys I have around him. If you just want to talk about some potential upside plays of, you know, guys I have right in front of him, DJ Moore with another piece out outside that Carolina offense, T Higgins, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Ayuk. I mean, those are the four guys I have right above him. Much I think bigger the play upside potential. Is just yeah. so much greater than, than what I think you're going to get from Juju. Like, I don't think if you take him around that spot and you play him as more of a wide receiver three or a flex, I think you'll be more than happy with him. I just don't think he's got anywhere near the upside that a lot of these guys have here as you get to the back part of wide receiver two territory. I think that's the point, Jay. He can't be your wide receiver two. This class is too deep. And you got to have more upside potential there for your wide receiver. So if he's your flex and you're rotating it, you probably feel okay. If he's a bench player that could fill in, that's kind of what he is at this point. I have a question about a top 15 wide receiver, Jamie, if you don't mind to just keep us in this area of the board here. Uh, Michael Thomas, you have as, let me, let me just make sure I'm accurate 14. here. You have him as wide receiver 14. So just inside I hate it. the top 15. Well, I, my question was like, you you have him as a top fifteen wide receiver. It means you have no concerns about what's going down going on down there well, in New Orleans. I mean, I clearly have some concerns. This was a guy who was the wide receiver one for the well, last. But he's still three top years. fifteen. Um, I, I don't know what to do with Michael Thomas. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, I have more faith. This is basically fully predicated when I put him there, and even when I had him as like a fourth round receiver. Uh, in my way too early mock was that it would be not Taysom Hill, but at least James Winston throwing him the ball. Um, you know, like. This was a guy that, and here it goes back to the conversation I had with Alvin Kamara, which I was tried to look at. Like I looked at the Taysom Hill numbers, but I also tried to go back and look at the Teddy Bridgewater numbers and try to see if it's not if it's not Taysom Hill who is, I don't think ends up being the starter there. He's going to get some time. He's they're going to be used all over the place and all that fun stuff. But you know, this was still a guy that was an 18 points per game player with Teddy Bridgewater in that stretch where he was starting for Drew Brees a couple years ago. I don't think it's crazy that he can be in around that range with Jameis Winston. And there's going to be some more boomer bust games. He's not going to be anywhere near the same player he was with Drew Brees. But to be fair, you take it. We're talking about him at 14 and not one or two. So you, there's a lot of that stuff is is built in. The question is going to be, and this becomes where the, kind of the, the the pick your poison territory. Where do you want to put him? Because to me, I think I can't I can't justify him having him any higher. But there's also part of me that looks at this and I go, you know, when push comes to shove in August. And it's Michael Thomas and Chris Godwin and Terry McLaurin all on the board there. I'm not sure I'm not taking Thomas last of that group. Like, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. So he's somebody that I think will move around. I don't think I'm going to move him outside of wide receiver two territory. I don't think he's going to drop outside of my top 20, but I would not be surprised if he's a guy that gets, uh, when I start doing my projections, there's some heavy movement there where he could be anywhere from 14 to 18 uh, by the time I get to the end of the season. And I, I just, if Jameis Winston has been able to produce productive fantasy receivers, Thomas has still had some strong fantasy success with a competent quarterback throwing him the ball that wasn't Drew Brees. Gives me enough hope. There's risk here, but gives me enough hope that there's some upside still there if you're taking him here like in the fourth round. If you want to take him earlier than that, then I don't think you're, you're gambling with basically not getting any of the upside play. But if you're in the fourth round at that point, you've got your two running backs, you're looking for a wide receiver two at this point. 
I would be willing to take that risk. Here's my disconnect with it. Jameis doesn't throw a lot of the routes that Michael Thomas runs. Great. The deep out, he doesn't throw great to the left. He throws better to the right. He didn't throw a lot of slants his entire career. And we're talking about slant boy here. Jameis doesn't throw the back shoulder very well. Can Michael Thomas elevate his game to a new level? And can Jameis learn to throw that back shoulder? Is there going to be some chemistry and some timing? Can we see some of this in an actual preseason game, which will make me feel a lot better? Because right now, the more we're talking about this, bro, I'm thinking like 22, 23 as like the end of wide receiver two. I think he still gets a ton of targets. But what does that chemistry look like? And can they develop something? Because there are games to me, and this is just going off off the top of my head. They don't match very well. Now, Jameis has so much more arm, arm talent than Michael Thomas has ever played with. I think that there's a possibility of doing that. I mean, Michael Thomas gets labeled slant boy. That's not, of course, not all he is. But to me, there's a lot to figure out there, uh, real football-wise, what those games are going to look like when they match up. My favorite part of Jamie's rankings when he puts all of these together is that we spend more time arguing about the guys that are like in the 30s and 40s and 50s on these lists than we do the top 10 because a lot of the questions that we have left are about guys that are lower on this list. And and Jake, I want you to go first because I want you to ask your Jamison Crowder question because we are literally arguing about a guy that Jamie has ranked as the fourth last guy on this list. And this is what I love about doing this and, and this show and having these discussions because we're not arguing about three versus four, four versus five. No, I want to know why Jamie put Jameson Crowder 57. And that's what Jake had. That's what Jake wants to know. Because this was my guy, right? Like this was a guy. This that is your, this is our guy. I know. For two years, I'm like, wait a minute now. Is this a Sam Darnold? This is the only chemistry that Jameson Crowder has because Sam Darnold was in love with him. He had what, 13 catches on 18 targets in one game a couple years ago, whatever it was. I was trying to get to the bottom and which one just blew me away. When I got to 57, I went, if people forget about Jamison Crowder and a kid, if say they do take Wilson now, dude, this kid can throw it like Aaron Rodgers from every different arm angle on the run all over the place. That is a slot receiver's dream. And a guy that knows all the nuances of fitting in a zone. Yes. I know it's a new staff and all the, everything that goes along with it. He's still the same player. 57 was like the greatest value ever to me. Yeah. It's not so much that I don't like, Jameson Crowder, the talent, I just, a lot of his fantasy value for me was wrapped up in just the stupid target volume that he would get from Sam Darnold. We're at a point where like 25%, I believe was the number, it was like 24.8 when I did it last year, uh, percent of his target volume in the years prior from Sam Darnold when he started went to Jameson Crowder. Uh, because that's kind of where you're going to expect that volume and that fantasy production to come for him. I don't know if he's going to get that anymore with a new quarterback there. And, and if there is one area of Zach Wilson's game he needs to do better at, it is taking what's given to him over the middle of the field. It's something that he didn't do a lot at BYU because he, one, had a really strong offensive line, a lot of confidence in his arm, and he made some plays in, the, in that honey hole spot on the sideline there that he was going to force it in and, and try for those bigger plays. So I think I want to see him start to make that transition there first. I want to see if the Jets end up drafting another receiver to add to him on day one or day two to add to that team along with Denzel Mims. So there's a couple more and questions. Corey Davis. Yeah, and Corey Davis. So like That's now true. if they bring they bring in a third receiver there, I still am worried that the Jets are going to end up cutting Crowder before I, we get it was to the just start about of the what I was going to bring up. It like was, I'm still no. I still think there's a chance that they do that. So because I, I think there's a chance they get a wide receiver in the draft that fits the role that they want Crowder to play, and they just choose to cut bait on the money of Crowder. That's my concern too. So all of that is baked into kind of where I have him there. So if we, 
that's a player that I could rise a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to rise him like 20 spots or anything, but that's a player that could rise a bit as we get into. But if he ends up at LA or San Francisco with that, well, then that's a different, then that's a different, that's it. Well, it depends on who's the quarterback in San Francisco still too, but it's, it'll be interesting. It's just, there's a lot of uncertainty right now about him. And I have to wrap all of that up into a ranking. And I, I want to make sure he was ranked. Like I, I felt like it would be, a complete he was almost unrankable. Well, it, it just if the, I'm only going to so to much 60, disrespect going on for Jake. It's Wall, not even right that. Like, look, there Jake, so I, many Jake I'm with you. I'm with you, man. I can't stand for this. This is like saying Damian Williams isn't rankable. Like, but, but now living in your backyard. Look at all of the receivers I didn't rank. Like now that you've said this, give where's me Sammy Watkins? I ranked six receivers. With I don't have Sammy Watkins. <laughs> Screw Sammy Watkins. He's playing in a running offense. He's going to have like a one target a week. Give me Jamison Crowder to the Chargers with Herbert. I'm all in. Cut him, Jets. This is Jake's new thing on the show, is that when a wide receiver doesn't fit in a place, he just sends them to they, the Chargers. They, they need a receiver. Because they need, need wide receivers. I know, they no, I, quarterback play last year. I agree. I agree. I just like your commitment to this, that anytime we discuss a wide receiver, your first place is not just to just go to L.A., hang out with Herbert. Um, okay. So, if Jamison Crowder is at the top of the guys that we love to talk about on this show – Potentially the guy number two at the wide receiver position that we got to talk about is where Jamie has T.Y. Hilton ranked 44th on this list. This might also be some disrespect, Jamie. Please explain yourself. Um, do you trust the quarterback situation? Do you trust what you saw from last year from, from T.Y. Hilton? Like, that's my concern. Um, he kind of earned the spot, James. I, I, I looked at it and I went, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to touch this one. He kind of earned the spot. He- he had a couple strong performances in the back half of the season, but again, this goes back to look, look at potential upside. And again, he's a guy here that I think I'm still giving some credit to, like, I'm not sure if I look at guys around him, depending on how things play out. I mean, Marvin Jones and Jacksonville just intrigues the hell out of me. Uh, John Brown in Vegas, if they don't add another option there, like there's some players right around him that I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if I drop him a couple spots there. I feel like this is a decent spot to have him. I think he's a bench player, a guy that you bring in, can rotate in on bye weeks. He's going to maybe have some strong matchups, but I have just too many questions about the quarterback situation, what T.Y. has left. Like, he doesn't have a lot of competition for targets, but, and the question is, do they throw as much as they did last year? And then what are you going to get from Carson Wentz in general? And then what are you going to get from T.Y. Hilton on a consistent basis? It's just too many questions for me to put him inside even top three or top, you know, wide receiver three or higher territory. And, and this might take us down another another rabbit hole, and I'm okay with that. But but Jamie, you, you put a lot of rookies on this board. You have two rookies right behind T.Y. Hilton um, at 52 and 54 in Terrence Marshall and Rashad Bateman, two guys that I think have higher upside when you compare them to T.Y. this year, because those guys, where they might go in the first round, Jake's shaking his head at me already, but where they might go in the first round could provide them really good opportunities to be impact players week one of the regular season if somebody lands in kansas city or green bay i'm going to be very intrigued i think if bateman lands in tennessee i'd also be intrigued but you know it's some of it's going to be landing spot because for those guys i think they're both worthy of being back half of the first round players but there's no guarantee that they are and so then you start to kind of get in this game of where do they end up falling do they go where do they end up where what kind of quarterback do they have to me if you know kansas city elects not to go offensive line at 31 and they take a receiver there and all of a sudden you are, I guess you'd be the third pass catching option, but number two wide receiver. That's intriguing to me, especially a guy like Terrence Marshall, who's got the size and is, is a play, plenty of speed for that size as well. It becomes a really intriguing option, but 
I think at some point you have to go, you're still the number one option in Indianapolis, even with all of those concerns that I have, unless one of these rookies lands in just one of those perfect scenarios, which again, when these guys land in spots, rankings are going to change. There's a chance. Like, again, there's, there's maybe some upside there, but it's going to depend on where they land. It really is. Rashad Bateman is so much more talent than Terrence Marshall. It's not even close. Yes, but I don't think Bateman gets down there. Yeah. No, no, I'm just like, but that, that to me, depending on where, where he lands, there's uh, he ends up in Green Bay. That that he could fly up this board. Terrence Marshall's a dude; he'll be a solid guy. I think it's more year two, two, three, four. Kansas City would be intriguing. I mean, look, the thing with Ty, if you want to flip that a little bit, Carson Wentz has a thousand times more arm talent than Philip Rivers at this point in his career. Now, Philip gets it out quick; he anticipates much better. But Carson Wentz can fit it in a hole. And where T.Y. likes to hang out outside and not go near that traffic in the middle, all that kind of stuff, and he can still run. You can make the argument that they, even if they throw it a little bit less, they could get more production if Carson does have a resurrection with Frank Wright. Jake, I believe you have – Am I making a freaking Carson Wentz argument here already? Uh, like, come on, man. Uh, I was beating the hell out of myself. Get, uh, the, uh, I'm off this train. I just tried to play a little devil's no, advocate. Hold on. Let me get the note. Hold on, let me get a timesheet out here. Let me let me just write this timestamp down so I have this. There's also later. a point. To, to your point, Chris. I said to your point, Chris, earlier, it, it's the context is important. When we're talking about players in the 40s versus talking about players in the teens for rankings, where we're talking about potential upside, what it could be in that spot, it's a different conversation. Yes. And and I also think that because we really bought into Carson Wentz. Like if, if Jake was like really into Carson Wentz, we're not talking about T.O. Hilton in the 40s. Like no. so we have to kind of make these arguments based yeah. on where these guys are actually ranked. But in all honesty, and and either one of you tell me if you disagree with this, but like I, I think it's this part of the board where you win your leagues, right? I mean, I think it's finding yes. value here and yes. making the right decisions value-wise, comparing this board to the running back board, and then on draft night seeing where you're at in the fourth, fifth, sixth round to try to get good value. So I think these conversations are really important because everybody argues about who's in the top 10 and and in all reality in most positions there there's not a lot that separates those guys there are tier breaks but there's not a lot that separates you know two from three from four in the wide receivers just for example so it's it's here where there's those divides that I think are really important to know and Jake your last question is about just how deep this group is yeah and before we get to that I mean if Bateman ends up in Tennessee I think you could end up seeing an A.J. Brown-type rookie year from Bateman alongside of A.J. Brown, who we just talked about, could end up in a, as a top-five guy, right? Like that combination yeah. together, run after the catch and taking over that Corey Davis role, who is more dynamic route runner. As a rookie, he's got to develop. I, I would love to see him there, and I'd love to see him in Green Bay. My, my last question, Jamie, is this the, the deepest wide receiver class? This is deeper than last year. Like this seems yeah. – we just talked about the guys you left off the list, and you went to freaking sixty. I yeah, mean, there's I, really, really good players, 40, 50s and beyond. And I think there's going to be – this is a deep receiver class in general for fantasy. I think it's a deep rookie receiver class too for guys I think that can make a potential impact. We haven't even talked about – now, these guys are not going to be weekly starters, but potential fill-ins, guys like even Amari Rogers in the right spot. or I mean, there are a few other players we haven't even discussed. Diami Brown. I mean, there's some – Rondell Moore, who if he's healthy, could be a Tony. really dynamic piece. You know, Kadarius Tony. Elijah so, Moore. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are a lot of pieces there, but we're 60 deep, and I still think there are plenty of players that are worthy of being on your roster that I have, we haven't even discussed yet. Uh, I mean, it's it's incredible to me how deep this position is, and I do wonder if 
at some point we will see if there's going to be a change where does a third wide receiver become a standard starting spot at some point with all of this depth, because you're really becoming at the point where this is why I say go running backs early, where you can go running back, running back, and then essentially play three or four wide receivers, depending on whether you have one or two flex spots in your league every single week. And so at that point, do you need to start to level the playing field a little bit, a little bit like what they, now you've always, it's a little bit different in baseball because of the positions that you naturally have multiple outfielders. So you naturally have at least three outfield positions, but a lot of fantasy baseball leagues have gone to five outfielders for starting lineups, just because there are so many quality players that are that position that are eligible at that position. So to kind of balance it, to make it not a very top heavy lineup at one spot, They've increased the positions. I do wonder if we are a few years away from seeing a third wide receiver becoming a standard fantasy lineup now where it goes quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end and a flex or a tight end and two flexes uh, because there's just so much depth there. Like, I mean, even we talked about this last year on the waiver wire. There's any given week in a 12-team league, there are 10 guys that are at least worthy of considering for your lineup that are just sitting out there even late in the week. It is incredibly deep, but this is where you can win as, as to Chris's point is trying to find some of these values here. Who do you like in these spots? If Tennessee doesn't go receiver early, could Josh Reynolds or have at 55 be a guy that gets some more target volume that becomes a really intriguing player there. You know, Cole Beasley is perennially underrated and puts up plenty of decent fantasy numbers and is a great bi-week fill-in. You know, what does Corey Davis do as a follow-up now as the wide receiver one for the Jets? What does John Brown do as a wide receiver one for Vegas if he's healthy? I mean, there's just so many of these guys. Speaking of Vegas, really is Rugs on your list or did I miss it? No, he's not. So the um, high, so the highest rated Vegas Raider was John minute, Brown. Minute, okay, minute, I just all right. So we're so, assuming a dude that was a first round pick that runs four two something. I know, and I like doesn't Ruggs. have any any development. We all do, but he ain't it's not Rugs at all. We've talked Ruggs about is it, like, not my concern. I need to decide the top sixty. Like that could be like that could be eight asterisks. Sure, like, no, like and, you're and, talking him the tenth round for Henry Rugs. He's somebody that's on my radar. And if you're looking for a guy that's like full upside, like you're taking upside only plays at the end of the draft, he's at the top of your list. I just, and it's not my concern with rugs. I just have no faith that they're going to use him properly in Vegas. Like they showed no signs of having any idea what to do with him last year. And that could they change. They really didn't. They didn't, but they have to. Like you got, you can't take him in the first round and use him as a decoy in year two. You think like you did last year. But I hope, but it takes a lot of projection there. So if you're looking for it upside, does. Sure. Like, and that goes back to draft strategy late. Like how many guys on your bench and it depends on how large your bench is. Cause you have a larger bench. You're able to take more upside guys because you have pieces to fill in for injuries or for bye weeks. But on a short bench, he becomes a guy that you go, you know, maybe I have to wait and see before I take him. But if you have a larger bench or you're a guy that's like, look, I know I'm going to drop half of my bench in the first two weeks of the season. Anyway, I'm taking all upside guys with my final four picks. He's got to be at the top of your list. Anything else that we want to get into from this list, Jake? I'm good. I got all my questions answered, and we argued about most of the guys at the bottom half of the list, so we kept our brand uh, intact today. For those of you listening, you want Ridley with a couple asterisks early, but not too early. Jamison Crowder, when he ends up with the Chargers, I'd I'd be paying attention there. And then Henry Luggs late, man. That one, like, I I gave you three freaking sleepers that you can some serious value on in Jamie's list here. Great job, Jamie. Freaking 60. I mean, dude, you – you never cease to amaze. Yeah, and the work that Jamie puts in uh, for us to just dismantle and, and tear him down and argue That's with him is, is is awesome. So yes, very, I great. really can't though. We we kind of try, but it always ends up making a lot of sense. And it, like even when I try to talk myself out of it, I go, okay, yeah, that was really good. 
Yeah, Jamie is a, Jamie's very effective in his arguments. He, does, he presents his case very well. It's, it's one of the things that in, in our friendship has always bothered me is Jamie knows how to effectively win an argument. Uh, Look, knows- and, and I, also, I also think the way too early is way too early to jump on him this hard. Now, fair, some of these are still, we're sitting in July. I might take a little bit of a bigger stance True. than some of these, but right now it's pretty damn good. And look, as I always say with these, and as I'll say, you hear me say a ton when my player projections come out. Uh, I They're going to be wrong. There's going to be a lot of wrong. I'm going to be more wrong than I am right. We're predicting the future. But I at least hope that by doing these shows and having these rankings and having these conversations that I give you the, the show your work, the logic behind why I have them there. Now, if you say, I think that logic's incorrect or I don't like that or there's this element that I think changes – perfect you could say okay i'm gonna have this player lower or higher based on that but i at least want to give you a peek into why i have them ranked they're not just list them one through 60 and go well here's my rankings just follow them religiously and you know you get no context you at least know my thought process for why i have these players and look and, and being honest about certain guys that i am not as confident on like i'll pound the table for some of these guys where i said i i really confident in tyree kill it too not as confident in michael thomas at 14 and i'll admit that that, that this is a player that i have him here this is where I feel about him today, but there's a really good chance that he moves around a little bit. And I think that's a good conversation to be had as well. So I that, think that's what we do as good as any show out there though, Chris, where like last thing risk versus reward along with value. Like we're going to give you the risk versus the reward. If you want to go ballsy on some of these guys, but we're also telling you that doesn't have value. And this does, and we're always big on getting the value and letting other people reach for that risky person. Instead of getting that reward, to me, the rewards and the value, I think that's why I have such good regular seasons, but maybe I get bit in the ass a little bit in the semifinals and finals of some of these leagues. You need some of that high, that high play, which is really more waiver wire later on or a guy that really develops throughout the season. But there's, I think we do a phenomenal job there of the risk versus reward and getting value out of it. And again, Jamie's going to continue to update these. He's going to put out the player projections. And we're going to continue to have these conversations all throughout the season. Jamie is motioning as if he's One got an announcement to make to or something. So this will be my final thought on okay. this just because I feel like, and we'll get out of here. Um, the James Conner signing in Arizona, just, just touch on this briefly since we're not going to have another show until next week. Um, I didn't move Edmonds down that far. I think I moved him down from 24 to 26. Um, I still think he's going to get plenty of work. James Conner's not somebody that has a long history of staying healthy. Um, he's also not a guy that I think is going to steal any passing down work or any, any, anything from him. So I still like Chase Edmonds, not quite as much as I would have if he had been the guy, but I like him way more than it would have been if like Travis Etienne would have joined the, the team instead of yep. James Conner. Now, yeah. if they still somehow bring in a running back like that, then the, the whole thing gets blown up into chaos. But uh, if, if they go into the season with James Conner and Chase Edmonds, I think you'd be more than happy with Chase Edmonds as a, an, an elite level flex play. Best case scenario for Chase Edmonds fans. So like Jamie just illustrated there, as things happen, as signings happen, already updated. as the draft happens, he's updating these, these rankings and then ultimately the projections that will come out later in the summer. Uh, I will use the final thoughts here before we get out of here and I let you guys plug your social media to tell everybody what we're going to be doing next week. I, I tried to tease it at the end of Monday's show and was run over by Jamie making some sort of comment. I forgot what happened, but he did not let me get this in. We're taking a little bit of a timeout from, from fantasy next week, and we are going to do over the course of the two episodes, and I think everyone's going to enjoy the three of us doing this. We are going to do the TDN Fantasy NFL 
mock draft. We are going to do the first round of the NFL draft, our versions. We are going to be the GM. So on Monday, you're going to get picks one through 16. On Wednesday, you're going to get picks 17 to 32. So we're going to be in the GM chairs. We're going to be making these decisions. We're going to be talking about these players. So it should be a fun little exercise to break up here this season. Uh, everybody's been doing them on the, on the TDN site. We figured why not we jump into the mix here and get our ones out there a, a week out. So that should be a lot of fun. There will be arguments. I think it's my, my one mission in life to steal a player that Jake wants with one of his teams. Uh, that is my sole mission in next week's shows is to be able to do that at least once. Uh, we got to get out of here. Jake's got a pretty big event going on that he's got to get to. Uh, so Jake, where can everybody follow you on social media? Jake B. Arians on Twitter and Arians NFL on Instagram. Jamie? Follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter and Jamie Eisner TDN on Instagram. And as always, all of Jamie's work, the updated rankings as they are updated over at thedraftnetwork.com under the fantasy tab. Everybody have a great week and weekend. We will talk to you on Monday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.